0: in peace, uh, Crossbridge Brickle. My name is Sam Miranda. I am the pastor at Miami Springs. And I'm uh, excited to come and bring the word to you tonight. Thank you, Carter, for inviting me. Um, I believe you came back from a road trip. So I was surprised to see that he was here. And like Johnny said, six new faces. Every time I come back here, the whole room is different. Like, I don't know anybody. Turnover in this place is amazing. But I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad we're going to dig into the word uh, tonight. We're in a series called Tables. It's our series of Lent, and today we're going to talk about the second table, the disciples' table. And at this Passover meal, Jesus is talking about his, his body being broken, his blood being spilled as he's securing a seat at the Father's table because about what he was going to do, and what it was going to cost Jesus. There is no lamb at this table, unlike the first Passover in Exodus, if you've been following along the series, because the lamb was with them at the the table. And so I'm going to do, do a little bit of Bible reading, if that's okay. You guys do that? Something like, all right, all right. So if you have your Bibles or your app, really cool. In the back, I took some pictures, or so you can fix your eyes on the screen. From the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 22, I'll be reading verses 1 through 23. And then I'll be talking about five things, five reasons why the meal that we're going to participate later on tonight is above and beyond any other meal that we've ever had. Here's what God's word says. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. For they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented. And watch for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Well, where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house... The teacher asked, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. So they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They all began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Five reasons. This meal is above any other meal. First reason is this meal is rooted in our redemption. If you're here tonight and you desire forgiveness, if you want grace, if you're in need of some kind of deliverance, this meal is for you tonight. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's explaining that the roots of this meal extend deep into the history of God's people, deep into God's character, and he's making it clear that this Passover meal is about him. He takes the meal, elevates it, levels it up, and makes it about his own death. Jesus is the son whom God did not spare. Unlike the firstborns of Israel and Egypt... <laughs> He did not spare his own son so that you and I, so that we may be spared. And so the reason we receive this meal is because we've been delivered from death. We've been delivered from eternal separation and alienation from our heavenly father because we know we're in desperate need of grace. And sometimes, sometimes we, we, we're just wanting for some big experience before we believe in God. God, I want you... I want you to give me a big experience before I put my trust and I believe in you. But that's like saying, God, you have to show me you love me if I let you show me you love me. We have to remember that we come to the knowledge of being rooted in God's love because we remember how he demonstrated that love for us. give you an example. When I was a kid, my dad had a reclining chair that we couldn't sit on, Okay. I know this sounds cliche, and you know, maybe with this group, your grandparents had a chair. I don't know. He had this chair in the floor of the room. He would pray on this chair. It was a, it was a nice chair. It was rich and dark, right? He'd anoint it. He did all that stuff. At 5 in the morning, he would sit down. He would pray. Couldn't sit on it without his permission. One day, I woke up, middle of the night. I don't know. I was a 10 or 11 years old. Got some water. Going to back, back to bed, I, I stopped. I looked to the right. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit in that chair, <laughs> But like really sit on it, like sinking into the fabric. And before I knew it, I fell asleep. (laughs) I fell asleep on the chair. And so when I woke up the next morning, to my surprise, somebody had put a blanket over me. Here's the point. Trust is learned. Trust is learned. In our past experiences with trust, when we learn to rest in somebody else's love, That will shape and affect all of your relationships, including the one you have with God. Relationships can grow, but only when trust is developed through the experience of being loved by somebody else. And so what it means to live constantly in the presence of God is to live in the knowledge of God's continual Love for us. And it doesn't mean that we get a constant stream of intense emotional feelings every day. It doesn't mean that we got to gin up and work up some feeling. But the closest that comes to this experiential trust, when we think back and we remember, especially on, on this night. Knowing that we're loved and abiding in that knowledge as the Holy Spirit is leading everybody in this room in gradual steps. By the way... Don't forget everybody's on a different spectrum on the journey. And don't think that because you love somebody else and you don't see results that you're loving that somebody else is a complete waste of time. The Holy Spirit is guiding everybody in steps towards this knowledge. Here's the second reason why this meal is above any other meal. This meal is planned by Jesus himself. If you've ever been invited to dinner, don't lie. You know that you love being at the table when the host just celebrates the fact that you're there, just because it's you. Just because you're there, you're being celebrated. Jesus provides instructions to how to where this meal would be prepared. He tells Peter and John and so it's very clear this is Jesus' idea under his leadership according to his plans, meticulously planned. Now I've been married for 26 years and I think about how ill-prepared I was and how Poor plan my marriage was. Unlike my oldest daughter who got married two weeks ago. And um, man, that wedding had like two backup plans to the backup plan. And so sometimes my wife and I, we laugh, we look at our wedding pictures. It's really ghetto, guys. I mean, we kind of staged like this white Camaro in the parking lot, like we were leaving. You know, it was just, you know, we. We had a poorly planned wedding and we laugh and and sometimes I have to remind my wife, listen, my poor planning doesn't negate and never negates and didn't negate my strong desire to marry you, like I want to be with you. What we see here though is Jesus is meticulously planning this meal and this is important. He carefully tells his disciples in verse 16 how he strongly desired to eat this meal with them before he suffered. He's longing... He's longing for them to join him at the table. He's longing for us to join him at the table. And if that's true, which it is, then we need to ask ourselves a question. Do we long to join Jesus at the table? Now Matthew tells us that all the disciples, Matthew's gospel, all the disciples abandoned him. In his great hour of need, they all left him, gone. Ultimately, alone, ultimately he was abandoned. And even knowing that, just like he knew that some guy with a jar and the water was going to be there... Because he's God, even knowing that, he still desired to eat with his friends. And like them, that would be us, Jesus knows those things in our hearts, the things that we'd rather not show people, that sin, yeah, that one, that we'd rather not have anyone see. He knows it. In fact, he knows corners of your heart that you don't even know, and yet he still desires and he says, I desire to eat this meal with you. I don't know, for me, it's this desire for him to join me that invites my desire to enjoy this meal with him even more. Like, I want to eat this meal with him. And how do we do that? Well, we, we did it today. We, we sang, we worshiped, we prepared our hearts, we confessed our sins. Hopefully, before we eat this meal tonight, confess your sins, reconcile with a brother or sister, joyfully expect in prayer. We prepare our hearts because we want to eat this meal with Jesus because he desires to eat with us. Here's the third reason this meal stands above the rest. This meal anticipates the future. How many in here want a foretaste of the new creation now? Right? Just four people? How many... (laughs) It's funny, I asked the same question in the morning. I kid you not. Somebody in the back said, no. (laughs) I was like, like the Seinfeld in me thought that was hilarious. But then like the pastor in me was like, what? (laughs) Who desires to have this foretaste of the new creation today? If that's you, all six of you who raise your hand, then this meal is for you. The reason Jesus is eager to share this meal with his friends with his disciples here is that he won't eat it again, he says, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, verse 16, which has a personal and global dimension to it. The personal dimension, for example, Matthew's gospel, I'm going back to Matthew. Uh, he says, when you wake up in the morning, you are to first seek what? Come on, Bible readers. First seek what? What are we to seek first? The what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, don't misquote me, and all of these things will be added unto you, and you know the rest. Which means that when we wake up, we're asking God, God, I want to live under your provision. I want to live under your guidance. I want to live under your protection. First, And if I do that, I know that I won't need to be anxious about all of these other things that you are in complete control of. And so when I pray, thy kingdom come, it should mean that I'm asking God to come into my heart and reign in my life. It should mean that, God, I'm asking you to come into my heart and push aside any alien and foreign allegiances that are in there. It should mean that, God, I want you to guide me and lead me down the straight and narrow path. That's the personal dimension. But there's also global Element. He says here in verse uh, 18, it's not just a, a present personal experience, but it's a future historical event where he will rule the whole earth in open, unopposed glory. So this fragment of bread that we're about to have and this, this wine that we receive at the Lord's Supper is the first course meal of an eternal feast. It will never end. It'll never stop eating. But it starts today you know there is a way that we can use the future to waste today like there is a way that we can just anticipate every what-if scenario plan for every contingency believing that the next thing will be better and I can't serve God with integrity unless it's ideal forgetting that what God is calling you to do next is tied into whatever he's calling you to do right now oh well you know God will send it when I need it you know and, and, and we lose focus on our purpose. We completely lose focus on your purpose in life, not realizing it's up to you to focus what you want more of. So I'll ask you again how many in here, with every hand raised, want a future foretaste of heaven today? You want that. You want that right now. And if you do want it, then focus on this, this ever expanding table that it's just growing, growing. This is gonna be massive one day ever-expanding table with Jesus now. Stop focusing on the things that keep you in perpetual frustration. Focus on that future moment where Jesus raises the fourth cup of praise. And he says to everyone, you know, it's the ultimate toast. He raises the fourth cup of praise at this eternal table and allow this imagery to move into your present moment now. Why? Why would we do that? Because we need to show the world a different narrative. We need to be in Embedded with a different and better narrative than the narratives we tell ourselves. Narratives of grief and shame and trauma. We need to showcase peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Which, by the way, Paul says in Romans, is the kingdom of God. Here's the fourth reason why this meal is above any other. It recalls, this meal recalls Jesus' substitutionary death. Do we all want a deeper understanding of Jesus' death? If so, this meal is for you. (laughs) He says here, it refers mainly to himself and his redemptive work in verse 19, and we're to remember not just the external events of his death, the nails, the cross, right, the the thorns, but their redemptive significance. We We remember that Jesus dies as our substitute. We remember that, that by shedding his blood for us, he inaugurates, he initiates the new covenant. We, re- we remember that God's judgment is poured fully on him for our sins, and we are forgiven for our sins. So as we share this meal with him, we remember this unique, once and for all, fully sufficient, substitutionary death death. And as we remember, we experience in the depths of who we are, the power of the cross working in our life, bringing life into those broken and dark places that we don't want to show nobody. Bringing life into our hearts, which is a very common experience for us, whether we want to admit it or not. For example, we sing songs. I don't know if you're familiar with the modern hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. You know that song? You sing that song here? Frank? The verse that says, um, what should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, right? But this I know with all my what? What? What do we know? His wounds have paid my ransom. This is what I call a theology of the heart. If we desire a deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding of the cross, it cannot just be from a rationalistic perspective it's echoed in song. What a lot of us feel in our hearts about the cross. I'll give you another hymn, Charles Wesley. Amazing love, why should it be that thou, my king, should die for me? He writes here uh, uh, in one of the stanzas. He says, tis mystery. You didn't know I was going to go all Shakespeare to unite, right? Tis, tis mystery. <laughs> tis mystery, thine immortal. Like, how can the immortal die? Like, what? Well, that doesn't make sense. It's a mystery. How strange. How strange when we explore, Who can explore this, this strange design, he writes. Well, in vain the seraph sure does try. It tries to sound the depths of love divine. And to be clear, I'm not espousing, and neither is Charles Wesley or any hymn writer, an anti-intellectual approach to our faith. He's not asking us to shut off our, our, our non-critical approach of our faith. But part of wisdom is realizing the human limits to intellect To be able to fully understand something that's so profound. God's substitutionary death on the cross is too profound to fit into some theorem, into some formula. Oh, but in vain the seraph sure does try. And when we try, we reduce it to much less than what it actually is. And while it's good to seek and understand with our minds, that's what we're called to do. That's why we got brains to seek and love God with all of our minds. Also realize... That these things are always just two-dimensional things of something that is so much, so much bigger. We can never fit God in a box. The Pharisees tried, but we can never fit God in a box. Understand that we can know God relationally with the language of the heart. And Wesley finishes this hymn. He finishes this hymn with the last verse and he says, he says, Still the atoning blood is near that quenched the wrath of hostile heaven, I feel life, his wounds in part, I feel the Savior in my heart. If we want to understand deeper, well, then we need to access a different part of our brains. It's a part of our brains that loves to imagine, right? We, we can't, if our imagination is atrophy, we're going to have a tough time co with God, with the new creation, part of our brains that loves the language of the dramatic voice, the language, the pen of the poet, the language of story. And wherever deep, listen to this, just imagine the imagery here. A man broken, spit, mud, carrying across, blood mixed with tears. And wherever deep speaks to deep, we do understand with our minds in conjunction also with our hearts. You following? Here's the last reason why this meal is the ultimate meal. This meal forms a new community. Do we long for life in true community? Do we? Then this meal is for you. Jesus, uh, immediately after eating, we learned uh, last week, or at least I preached at Springs, last week about the the washing before the table. He moves immediately where the disciples are still arguing over who is going to be the greatest In the kingdom of God, which is why they miss the meal's meaning, which is why they miss the meal's transformative power. And we too can miss it in subtle ways, like we can leave here tonight and get annoyed at the person who's temporarily blocking, you know, our exit. We can go to work later in the week and we can withhold forgiveness after being reminded of God's forgiveness tonight. We too can forget. And the lesson, Luke, the reason Luke moves from the table to Jesus' teaching about humble service in later verses is he wants us to know that Jesus' death in our place is meant to form a new community, creating in us servant hearts and propelling us to love one another in very humble ways, like foot washing. J.C. Ryle has has a quote. Listen to what he says. He says, he that eats the bread and drinks the wine in right spirit will find himself drawn into closer communion with Jesus, with Christ. And we'll feel to know him more and understand him better, but you can't understand him better in isolation. In fact, you can't fully know God in isolation. God is a communal God. When you love me, by the way, when you love me, when you really love me, not, not only am I receiving God's love through you, but you're loving God through me. And you can't do that alone. You need the, you need the cloud of witnesses around you. That's the beauty the Christian community, it's real, it's confessional. And when non-Christians, I know we're not perfect, but when non-Christians look at, our, look at our love and look at our community, they can meet Jesus vicariously through our actions and through our examples. People need to see the love of God demonstrated in our lives because this message that we, that we speak of and that we carry is not about ourselves, it's about Jesus. And it's about our dependency for his love. Which is something we don't like being dependent. But counterintuitively, it's how we become independent. Being dependent on his love. God frees us to enjoy all things in their proper spheres, in their proper place. The emphasis of our faith then becomes placed on him and not of ourselves. Amen. Would you pray with me? in the past